Lord. Father, this morning we come to you. We look to you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I pray, Father, at the end of this service, our faith would be even more strengthened. Our love would grow even more deeper. And our surrender would be even more greater, Lord. That's why we come into your house. That's why we believe the word of God is living. We believe you are here in our midst. We believe you are willing to meet us at our point of need. And often, Lord, we do not realize our greatest needs are spiritual and not physical. And I pray, Father, today, you would meet each one at our point of real need, O oh God, that we are not even aware of. The hundreds who died last night, they didn't know. They didn't know their greatest need was Jesus. The sons of Abraham, as they fight, have rejected the true son of Abraham. They have rejected the promise that was given to Abraham. Let no one today who hears reject that promise that the blessing of Abraham may come upon us and increase in us your very spirit Lord so I commit this time of ministry into thy hands minister unto us O Lord when as we wait and sit at your feet for in Jesus name we pray Amen One of the things Jesus told his disciples and therefore to us, especially when they asked him about the last days, one constant refrain was, watch. Watch and pray. Watch, watch, watch. Finally, he says, what I tell you, I tell everyone, watch. And these are important things to watch. Another thing he said was, a house that is divided cannot stand. Two words, okay, and you need to realize. Israel has never in its history since its birth has been caught so unawares because they were not watching. It was an absolute, total failure of intelligence. And Israel in its 75 years of history has never been so divided as a nation. Divided as a nation. There are things which God says, which is to us personally, has homes, or even has nations. The last time something like this took place, or 70, 50 years ago, in 1973. Again, they were caught unawares, but then they won. This time they were attacked, you need to realize, by land, by sea and by air. And they were caught unawares. 
22 towns, last reports came in, the Israeli forces, their towns, Israeli towns, the Israeli forces were still battling the Palestinian militants who were freely killing the Israelites, the men, women, and the children. And they have captured people and taken them into the Palestinian areas as hostages. These things have never happened. You need to realize what happens if you do not watch. And you need to realize, they didn't happen yesterday. You cannot have an attack like this in one day. This was planned, but it was kept under wraps so well. It happened at a high point on Sabbath when they had just finishing Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. They caught them unawares, caught them at the end of the festival, caught them on Sabbath, and there is mayhem, absolute mayhem. Okay? So you need to realize. Most people, if if I were to ask you, people do not even know the map of Israel. Where Gaza is, where the other part is, they don't even know where these things are. Yet they are so pivotal to entire human history. The thing is that Israel is going to hit back hard. It's going to hit back hard. Meaning in the next days we will hear the casualty numbers going up on both sides. They are going to go hard and going to destroy Hamas, because they cannot take it lying down. Okay, so things are going to change in the Middle East. Okay, things are going to change in the Middle East. You need to understand, 85% of the Muslim population is Sunni. 15% of this is Shia. The 85% of the Sunni population was coming very close to making a real deal peace with Israel. And Saudi Arabia, which is the head of the Sunni set of this thing, was getting ready to make peace with Israel. And then this has happened. Now it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Please understand, if Hezbollah, which is on the other side and which is in Syria, the only two nations which are publicly celebrating, Iran is celebrating, Taliban is celebrating, okay? If they get involved, the war will get worse. There is a prophecy in the Bible which should happen in the last days. One of the oldest cities in the world called Damascus will cease to exist. It has never happened in these thousands of human history. But will this lead to Hezbollah getting involved and will Israel wipe Damascus out? So we are living in very, very interesting days and interesting times. Okay. We are a prophetic generation. What does that tell us? It tells us we are in the labor pains. These things must happen. Take your eyes off the temporal. Start putting your eyes on the eternal. That's actually before this all happened. This was the text I had planning to start with 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
The ones who will suffer in any conflict, let me tell you, any conflict, are the women and the children on both sides. Okay? Um, though our God is the God of Israel, in the old covenant, he still has a covenant with Israel, but he is the God of all nations. Okay? Though we are against terrorists, we are not against, as a believer, we are not against the people in Gaza or Palestinians. They are very poor people. Very poor people. They don't want this conflict, but they are not allowed to have a voice. Their leadership is wicked. If you see them, already Israel has asked all the border towns in Gaza, evacuate. And the women and children are packing up and leaving because the bombing is going to start. Okay. So it's always the women and children. And they are innocent. They are ignorant. They don't have a voice. And they are the casualties of decisions which are made by people who have their own agenda. So remember both sides. Okay. Both sides. If you ever hear testimonies of Palestine and Israel, there is one set of people among them who love each other and actually don't fight. Those are the Jewish Christians and the Palestinian Christians. They love one another. Because Christ broke the middle wall of separation. Where actually an ex-Jew and an ex-Muslim become brothers and can love actually in amity. Okay? So keep that. So this is the thing. Learn to take your eyes every day, okay? Sunday morning is a difficult day. We need power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I am going to use power steering to get your mind back to the eternal. Seven, six days in the world. I hope you are not full of it. If so, Lord, help me to empty it. That we can keep our eyes on the eternal. Because sometimes we do not know the meaning and the impact of our prayers. Thy kingdom come. God says, okay, conflict in Israel, because my kingdom cannot come. Otherwise, all these things have been already been foretold. These things have to happen. So keep your eyes on the eternal. Okay, keep it on. These temporal things don't matter at all. Meaning, I'm not talking about what's happening, not that. I'm saying what we are running and rushing after. Like today, the song with the worship team sang, you know. I was a strange, it's very strange that you have me as your pastor. Because when I got saved, I didn't know a single Christian song. Not a single English Christian song did I know when I got saved. The first song I learned the day I got saved, you know, the next day, the second day after I got saved was, Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. That was the first hymn I learned in my life around 40 years ago. Okay? So, when things start getting worse and worse, we will thank God for salvation. Because people on both sides of the conflict truly, genuinely do not have a hope of eternity. It's only found in Christ. So God is always coming and telling us, take your minds off the temporal, keep it on eternity, and then the temporal will start making sense. And if you lose something, it will not affect you. It will not bother you. 
when you lose the temporal things, when you lose material things, when you suffer loss in this life connected with the temporal, it will not affect you. On the other hand, if you put the eternal first, a lot of things will start automatically taking shape and making sense and meaning in our life. That's what Jesus said in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 and verse 33. What does he say? Seek ye first the kingdom. That's eternal. That's not a temporal. That's not a seen thing. That's an unseen thing, the eternal. Prioritize your life. Put the kingdom of God first. And he says, you know what? The temporal will start falling into place. Otherwise, I'm letting I'm telling you. All your life, you will be running after the temporal and you will realize things are not falling into place in my life. It's simply because it's just a simple thing of prioritizing our life, putting the eternal first, and then the temporal will start following. And that's what God is saying. So God says, we are studying on Mondays and Fridays from the book of Revelation. And uh, we reach the fifth church, which is a church in Sardis. And to Sardis, the first thing God says was, watch, awake, wake up, watch. And if you know the secular history of Sardis, which was a city on an impregnable mountain. So they, nobody could conquer it. It was, its fortress was so powerful, so impregnable, it could never be conquered except twice. And because the guards were so casual, history says, one of this enemy was hiding around, but they could not get this city of Sardis. And one of the guards, his, who was on duty, his helmet came off and he rolled down the mountain. Then the enemy who was watching saw him come through a secret passage all the way down and pick the helmet. They knew there was a way into the city. And the enemy got in through, but they were very casual. They were not watching that passage. And that was the city. That's how the city fell to the conquerors. Because they were not watchful. And to Sardis, God is saying the same thing. Awake. Wake up. When you see all these things happening, what is God telling his church? Wake up. Smell the coffee. <laughs> Wake up. My coming is getting closer and closer. You don't have as much time you think to prepare. Okay. That's what God is talking about. So those who are saved here, God is telling, prepare for the eternal. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. It will be coming much closer than we think of because every second I'm speaking, it's not getting further away. It is getting closer. Okay. Those who are not saved, those who are not committed to Christ, God says, don't think you have all the time because as time passes by, if you're not getting closer to committing, your heart is only getting harder. Only getting harder. So awake, he says, awake. So we've been looking at that because how do you see life as? And we've been looking at the six foundations, primarily not at the foundations, but repentance from dead works, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Are we living 
in the light. Are we living our lives in the light of eternal judgment? Meaning, it's not a normal judgment. It is final and forever. That's where the Bible talks about believers also should look at life as a race. As a race. Everything or most things in the kingdom of God is a gift. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. We were given the gift of salvation. We were given the gift of righteousness. We were given the gift of faith to believe in God. We were given the gift of repentance to turn towards God. And when we believe, we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? And once we have been given all these things, God says, work on it. And when it comes to salvation, the most important part, the most important is gift, is faith. That's why the Bible talks about constantly work on your faith, work on your faith, examine your faith, increase your faith, grow your faith, because faith is important because it's connected with salvation. Very important. But when it comes to judgment, faith is second. It's not first. It's not what you did. It's not first. How you did is first. If how you did is right, then two is considered. How did you do it? Let me put an illustration which students will understand. All your answers are correct. So what you did is correct. And then the teacher finds you copied. What do you get? Zero. Because it's not what you did, it's how you did it. How you did it. So suddenly when you are expecting 100, you get a zero. Why? Not of how your answers were, but how did you get your answers? So your works are not going to be counted first. Because our works are faith. What is going to be counted is how did you do it? That's why in the kingdom, please understand, the most important is, is love. That's what we are looking at. So we need to ask ourselves, how real is my faith? How real is my love? So Galatians 5, 6 will say, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but puts both together. You cannot say, I have love, but I have no faith. It doesn't work. I have faith, but you have no love. It still doesn't work. God says you have to put one and two together. Faith that works or expresses itself through love. If you look at the Old Covenant, Old Testament, Old Testament has giants of faith. Giants of faith. But if you have noticed, they do not come across as very loving people. We can learn from them how to live by faith, how to trust God in difficulties and battles and all the things of life. We can learn from this. There's an entire chapter in the Bible which is called the hallway of faith. But have you noticed in the Bible there is no chapter devoted to a hallway of people of love? Because there are very few. And also because it's a new covenant feature. It's not an old covenant feature. Because you need to understand Love is not a gift. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because if you do not have the Holy Spirit in you, 
And if you do not learn to abide in the Holy Spirit, this fruit won't grow. It won't manifest. It won't manifest. So you do not have, you do not see that. So we were looking at these things over the years, especially last week. And we also saw the importance of truth in anything. We want to know what is true. Right? Now you will see countries all, uh, almost every country has, which has spoken has taken us on the side of Israel. It's on the side of Israel because of the nature of the attack where women and children and young people who are celebrating Sukkot were shot dead, killed, captured, taken. So the whole world except a few nations who are silent or the ones who are vocal with the Palestinian cause. Okay? So now the exam post-mortem will begin. One, the failure of the the intelligence. And also then after some time, as the casualties start mounting and mounting, mounting, people will start going, what is the truth about all this? What is the truth behind the Palestinian-Israeli conflict? Palestinian. There are so many people here, even in this church, who believe Palestine means Philistine of the Old Testament. No. It's got nothing to do with the Philistine. You need to understand in history, there was never a Palestinian state. But if you say that outside, they may take your head off. Okay. So everywhere we need to understand, in any situation you face in life, in anything, we need to know what is the truth. Because liberty is not connected with faith or love. Liberty is connected with truth. It's connected with truth. And this is how God puts truth across. In John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by the, by your word. Your word is the, so this is the truth we carry and neglect. Right? We want to know the truth about every other subject under the sun. Okay, now we are sending one to the spaceship to the sun also. We want to find the truth about the sun also. But we don't check this out because this is the truth. So God says, my word is the truth. Then in 1613, he says, when this, however, when he, who is he, the spirit of? What does, what will he do? He will guide you into all truth. So he says, it is not enough you have this. Even if you have this, and if you, even if you are a pundit in this, it doesn't mean you have access to the truth. You still need somebody who can guide you into the truth. That is the Spirit of God, because real truth is eternal, and it is spiritual. And then, in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. Okay? So these are what we call the three paradigms of truth. His word that we all have access to, Jesus, his spirit, who will show us what is the truth, and his person. How do you live this out? There was a time in history when truth became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. How did he come? Full of grace and full of truth. He lived in our midst and showed us, if you believe in the truth, How do you love? And how you can be absolutely free anywhere, in any situation, even if you are literally nailed on the cross, you can be free. 
So truth has three portions. One, it is a written word. The other is the person of the Holy Spirit who is the only one who can lead us to all truth. So surrender to the Holy Spirit is mandatory. And then, how do we see the practical example before us, exemplified before our eyes, is Jesus Christ. That's why I always encourage you to get a red letter Bible. A red letter Bible is where Jesus' words are written in red. So that you go through that. Before him, we have all those saints in the Old and the New Testament through whom the Spirit of Christ spoke through fallible, weak human vessels. So we have an image of Christ. And then Christ himself speaks. So if you listen to his words and read the context, you will see so many situations in which we ourselves get caught in how to react. How will truth and grace operate in my life? Because we see how did it Jesus do it in his life. So that is how you capture it. And then what happens is you get a hold on what really life is. Because he has come to give us, but what he has given us, we have to receive it. Everything has to be received. Faith comes. It comes. By hearing. So you have to hear. If you don't have faith, it's only because you did not hear. Faith comes from hearing. So if you say, Pastor, I have no faith, that means you are not hearing. It comes by hearing. So things in the kingdom are given, but we have to receive it. But in First Corinthians 13, 13, <clears throat> we saw something. We saw the primacy. Now abide. Faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now why is love the greatest? If you actually read from verse 8 onwards, we will understand why love is the greatest. Why love is the greatest. Can I go to verse 8? If you go to verse 8 onwards, you will suddenly understand and it will really, it's an eye-opener. We'll suddenly understand why is love the greatest. Love never fails, okay. But where there are, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now did we understand? Do you understand what God is trying to tell through for? Like all of you, in one way or other, whether you are in school, college, or even otherwise. And most of the time of the week is spent in acquiring knowledge. Right? Acquiring knowledge, 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 knowledge. Do it. But ultimately in eternity we will realize it is all a waste of time. Okay? Because when we reach eternity, then we will know things as they really are. We don't know things as they really are. This pursuit of knowledge for the sake of knowledge is a waste of time. You want to do it for your career? Good. 
But pursuing knowledge for sake of knowledge is a waste of time because it is only then we will know what things really are. In a split second when we are transported, we will understand, oh, this is what this meant, this meant, this meant, because the unseen will become the seen. Okay? In the split second when we are translated, faith is gone, it becomes sight. Now we don't have to believe God by faith, we see him face to face. So faith is gone forever. There's no more faith. Other than trusting God. But it is sight now. Hope is gone. Hope is for what you do not see. Whatever level of your hope, it will be either satisfied or unsatisfied. But it is a finished kalash. Hope is over. Prophecies won't be needed. Tongues will cease. But there is something that will be forever and ever and ever. What is that? Love. A community that will live with their father. A family that will live in love forever. That's what the apostle is trying to say. He says in eternity, everything else will pass away. Everything else we are dependent upon in the world or in the church. All those things will pass away. Faith will become sight, tongues will cease, prophecies, if you prophecy, they will laugh at you. What are you prophesying about? <laughs> right? If you speak in tongues, they will laugh at you. Because our language will change, everything will change. So God is talking about that. What will be the greatest will be love. And that's why the Bible says God is love. And he who loves is born of God. So the question is because the whole world is talking about love. What kind of love is this? If God is love and he who is born of God loves what kind of love is that? That is why First Corinthians 13 is the greatest words ever penned by man or by the Holy Spirit through man ever penned on love. No man, no poet in any culture, in any language has ever been able to excel it. It's not possible. Because this is the analysis of what true love is. You need to have something, a standard to measure something. So, when somebody says, you don't love me, you have to quote them. 1 Corinthians 4 to 8. Do you mean this? What is your standard? What is your standard? How? What do you base your assumptions or reactions on when it comes to love. What is the standard? What are your expectations? And it is written, if you write, if you read First Corinthians especially, it is written to a very dysfunctional church. A family of God. Very dysfunctional. You name anything in the world, you can find it in that church. Any sin, any vice. The church in Corinth had it. And Paul pinpoints the issue. He says, you are very childish. 
It actually tells them, you are very childish. I am not even able to teach you senior serious things. And if I were to pinpoint a radiologist, look at this church, what is your problem? He says, you lack love. That's your problem. And you don't even understand what God's kind of love is. It's doing a very clear analysis. That's why we are studying the book of Revelation. You have to read those letters written to the seven churches. It's an eye-opener. How God analyzes seven churches, which are churches of all ages and believers of all ages. The x-ray vision of Jesus Christ, whose eyes are like flames and whose feet is of bronze. Meaning, he sees through everything and he will judge it if we are not careful. Stunning. Only two churches escape without indictment. To five churches, it is severe. Okay? But, he comes. So if he doesn't show, we won't see. We will think we are all good. So if you come to the first three verses of chapter 13, we looked. Those verses are shocking. Shocking to an average Christian. They are shocking. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith. So this this person has all mysteries, all knowledge, all faith. The kind of faith that can move mountains but does not have love, I am. When you stand before God, you are saved, but okay. and then the third, and though I bestow all my goods into social service, all my goods, not some or most, all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, martyrdom, dying for a cause, meaning can you give all your goods to the poor? Without love? Yes. Can you die for a cause without love? Yes. The Hamas militants who attacked Israel last night knew most of them would die. And they died for a cause without any love. So can you die for a cause? Yes, you can. So it is shocking Because these are the things which we uphold even in the church. Oh, look at him. He is so biblically sound. His theological lenses are so sharp. He can take a theological hair and split it into 16 different portions. But the question God is asking, does he love? Do you know his kind of faith? Boy, his faith. He can move mountains. God says, but does he love? Do you know when he prophesies, though I don't know what happened to all the prophets who never foresaw what was coming? But God says, if you do not have love, do you know how generous he is? He's given away all his wealth. Did you know he died for a cause? God says, 
big zero. What's God trying to tell us? He said, you may speak in the tongues of men and of angels. You may be so eloquent. But loveless words mean nothing to God. He says, love excels oratory. Not that oratory is bad. But he says, if it doesn't have love, it's useless. You may entertain people. You don't impress God. You may have all the knowledge, mysteries, but God says, you know what? A big heart is better than a big and a bright head. He says, when I come first, I'm not checking the size of your head. I'm looking at the size of your heart. Because all these things written here can come from a loveless heart. And it's a very scary passage. The first three verses are very scary scary for us believers who've been in the kingdom for a long time that really God, you can do all these things without love? And God says, yes. It's an old time pastor who said, people do not care how much you know until they first see how much you care. It's told about actually even in a church where a lady <clears throat> came to a pastor and she said, Pastor, I believe. Now I believe in Jesus. And he, he was very happy. He said, oh, thank you, sister. Could you tell me <clears throat> which of my sermons was the one that convicted you, that brought you to your faith? She said, none of your sermons. She said, last Sunday after you preached, I saw a lady coming and fighting with you. She contended with you. But I saw how kind you were to her in response. And then I believed your God was real. Then I believed the God you are talking about is real. That's why the great ones say, People do not care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. That's why Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. Right? John 13. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Now if he stops there, then we will have all the movies and the songs and the songs will come into our mind. Oh, I love you. You love me. No, God says no. Too much of the fake thing is going round and round. I didn't mean that. I said, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. And verse 34, he says, when you do that, you can be very sure. The world will know you are my disciples. My disciples. Do you know this one commandment, which is he calls a new commandment, because this commandment is not there in the old commandment. They understood theoretically, but they really did not know what it is to lay down your life for somebody until Jesus came and showed us from birth till death. He was laying his life for somebody else. For us. 
how to live your life from the moment of your birth, spiritual birth, born again, till the moment of your death, how to lay it down for others. He came and showed us. But that's how he lived. Okay. So in that case, this commandment supersedes all other commandments. You know what? When you get circulars from the government, the government will put out a circular by saying, by this circular, all the previous circulars connected with this matter is superseded. Meaning they are of no effect. This is what is current and valid. So when Jesus gave us one new commandment by which he was saying all the other commandments are superseded. Okay, superseded. And that's why he says, if you understand and trust God and allow God to keep it through you and grow in this, you actually fulfill the whole law and the prophets. Everything. The very life of God. In John 14, Words 15 and 16, this is how he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Abiding is a different word altogether. He says, if you always want to experience, not that he leaves and goes away just like that, but experience the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. There is one condition. You have to walk in love. Because love is the most powerful. And love is the motivation for keeping my commandments. Because you can keep his commandments, understand, without love. That's the Pharisee. And all, every word he says is true. I did this, I did this, I did this. I tied my mint leaves and my karipata and my haldi. And he's, he's actually speaking the truth. He tithes everything. He fasts three days a week. He never misses his prayer. Everything. So you can do all this without love. But actually you fulfill none. Because to fulfill the law, you need one necessary ingredient. What is that? It is love. It is love. And Jesus, what the Pharisees complained about, fulfilled the law because from the beginning till the end, he walked in love. So he says the Holy Spirit will abide with you. If you want the Holy Spirit to abide, to live with you, in you, he says there's one condition. One, you need to have this love. And this love should be the reason by which you obey me. Obey me. Okay. In 14.23, he brings something else. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. He'll keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And what happens? My father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. These are powerful truths in the kingdom of God. Powerful truths in the kingdom of God. We will come to this at the end. And Jesus came to fulfill it. Jesus came to show us this. That's why he's called the way. Because all problem, people who are going through problems in your life, whatever problems, ultimately if you narrow it down, almost every problem is usually a relationship problem.
And God's answer to every problem is this one commandment. And because he loved his father, he obeyed all his commandments. And he tells us, my father has never left me. He says, all of you will leave. I know that. But my father has never left me. Why? Because one, I love him. Two, I've kept all his commandments. This is important because Jesus warned in the days in which we are living. He says, in the last days, lawlessness will abound. And the result of it is, the love of many will grow cold. We are living in that generation. A generation, young generation. In their heart, they are lawless. They are lawless. They have no absolutes at all. When you say you are lawless, meaning you have no standards. You are your own standard. That is the end of judges. Each one was king in his own eyes, did whatever he wanted. That is what actually means. You are looking at a generation who have no absolutes, therefore no convictions, and therefore no standards. For them, they are the standard. And what happens with people like that is lawlessness breeds lovelessness. It breeds lovelessness. That is why there will be perilous times in the last days. Perilous times in the last days. And just take a second, 60 seconds, and examine in your own heart. Are you lawless? Do you have absolutes? Convictions, standards. Do you really care? Do you really care? Because these are all prophetic signs from Jesus' own mouth about the last days. And he says, you know what will happen? The love of many will grow cold. We see that in homes. Husbands and wives, we see that. We see that in homes between children and parents and parents and children. We see that. We see that ultimately playing out on the streets. It is not that they break the written laws. No. They are lawless in their hearts. They are lawless in their hearts. They know absolutes. And that's the truth. Yet when we got saved, 1 John 3, 1, 40 years ago we used to sing in the youth meeting, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. We used to sing this song in the EU groups without even understanding what it meant. What manner of love that we are called sons and daughters of God. What manner? So we have to ask that question. What is the manner of this love? It's a question, rhetorical question. Behold, what manner of love? So the question is, what is the manner of this love? What is the nature of this love? And therefore, we have this incredible lines written by the Spirit of God through an apostle who is single. So he's talking to single people. And with much experience counseling, he's speaking to married people. To young people, to old people. And it's the spirit 
who is speaking through him most of new testament and giving us this powerful description of what true love is what it is and what it is not two things we need to know about everything what it is and what it is not asamallu okay asamallu not ullu mallu asamallu lot of people who are not mallus in my life in their zeal to please me will invite me home in different places including here and try to make a mallu dish thinking that a mallu dish is where to throw coconut into you need to know and what a mallu dish is and what a mallu dish is not so my humble counsel to you is when you call me home just make your own dish you will please me because last week when uh, uh, i think it was rachel's birthday my wife was saying now who will bake for the baker the baker's birthday has come in now who can please a cake to please the baker so finally her daughter did you can't complain so when you comes to love you have to ask what is love what is not love and go to what is called the truth because god says my word is truth and if you believe my truth and you allow the holy spirit to minister to you it will sanctify you it will keep you apart from the love that is fake in the world okay so we just looked at one verse last sunday that was first corinthians 13 4 and we will look at just that one verse this sunday also because if that is the greatest you cannot run over it right we are we'll get a speeding ticket from god he says go slow this is so important don't run through it don't rush through it so that one verse says that love suffers long and is kind so the quest question ask is that does my love suffer long and when it is suffering long in its reaction is it kind is it kind like we say you know we are not people who react we are people who respond react and respond is not the same reaction is what you find in the chemical laboratory somebody says something and you know, i will show you now that is reaction response and the word responsible goes together so as a christian we are very responsible how we act so even when all the vibes or the actions or the words are actually negative and hurtful intended knowingly or unknowingly to wound what do you do if your love is of god you suffer and how do you respond with kindness wait for a minute and do an evaluation if you are married and you are a man is that how you respond to your wife if you are a wife 
is that how you respond to your husband. No, don't give yourself tick marks. Ask the Spirit of God. He knows the truth about ourselves. Because the problem was the church in Ephesus had given tick marks in every column until Jesus came. And Jesus also looked at their score sheet and he ticked, yes, this, this. Then he stopped and says, one thing I have against you. Then he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Go back to your first love and do the things like before. Otherwise, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come and remove the lampstand from you. You will cease being a witness to me in your generation. And it happened because they didn't take his indictment. So don't put tick marks. Leave it to God. Ask God to speak to us. What is the nature of my love? Is it kind? Does it continue serving? Does it continue giving? Right when Pastor Vijay was today leading worship and in between when he was praying during the worship, he said some powerful truths from the book of Romans. He came and died for us when we were sinners, we were without strength, we were enemies of God. These are all truths. Meaning we were his enemies, we cared two hoots about him, nobody bothered about him, and yet he kept on giving. And ultimately he gave his ultimate gift, he gave his son. So he suffered long and he never stopped serving his creation, the creator. He never stopped serving. He never stopped giving. Because this is what the test of relationships. In a home, let's go to the home and leave the other things aside. Because in the office you will serve because you need it your salary. But in home is a problem. There is no salary at home. That's why modern day American culture, you in incentive to the children to do their chores is pocket money. So they are not serving because or giving, but they are serving for money. That is the incentive. It's mammon. It's gain. And after some time, they are not willing to pay to serve the same thing for the same wages. They said, I am older. Why don't you increase my pocket money? The kingdom of God doesn't work like that. It's a completely different kingdom. And God says, is your love the kind that suffers and still gives? Because kindness is always shown in action. Otherwise, kindness has no meaning. Kindness is always shown in words and in actions. Are you still giving? Are you still serving? Because you can always give, remember, without loving. But you can never love without giving. That's a false love. You can never love without giving. What are you giving? Jesus talked about Mary at Bethany. What she has done will be spoken of all through time. And the other one, if I don't know whether it's the same woman, but two incidents. Simon invited Jesus to his house, but he didn't really give. The uninvited woman came in and she gave. 
Mary took their alabaster jar, broke it, and she gave. It's probably a year's wages, just over his feet and over his head. Just anointed him. Because you cannot love without giving. He who is forgiven much, when we talk about sin, when we show the magnitude of our sinfulness, is not to make you feel guilty or condemned. It is to make you love him more. For he who has forgiven much, loves much. Loves much. We do not know how much we have been forgiven from and still being is forgiven. That's why we love very little. It's very easy to give things. It's very easy to write a check. Clean check. Right? It should. For so many things in this life, we need money. The question is not that. The question is, when you give something, have you given yourself? When Paul, the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, commends the churches in Macedonia, he commends the church in Macedonia. I remember years and years back when this church started, started. When I gave you, you were in there, most of you were in there, when I gave you that pamphlet for the first three weeks when we did not take an offering, that entire letter which God told me to write and give it to the church, how to give, how not to give, came from that one verse when he showed me. This is how it says in Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, they have two things they are going through. Affliction, they are being persecuted. And they are extremely poor. Extremely poor. Affliction, persecution and poverty. Terrible combination. Terrible combination. We have a war going on in the Middle East. The people in Israel are better off under the rocket attacks than the Palestinians. Because those women and children are extremely poor. They have bomb shelters in every home. These people have to find shelter in UN designated places and hope a bomb won't fall. For decisions their leadership has taken over which they have no control. You have to go sometimes to the old city and many places in UP and Bihar and to see how poor they are. How poor they are. Absolutely poor they are. And unchecked children. My sister was talking to me yesterday. Yesterday or day for yesterday. She said, yeah, she said this lady came to my clinic and they are poor. They are refugees from Syria. And she came. They all live in one apartment. Father, mother, in-laws. And she's pregnant for the sixth time. Poor. She says, my heart breaks. They're simple people. Poor people. Caught in this war in the Middle East. And this is a church like that. 
in affliction and in poverty. But what did they do? The abounded in the riches of their liberality. The way they gave stunned even the prophet, the apostle. Boy, how do they give? But that's not the key thing. The key thing is in verse 5. How did they give? Look at this. This is the words that struck me 16 years back. Not only as we had hoped. He says, even I did not hope this from this church. See, we have expectations when we meet believers. And often those expectations are not met. Paul says, even I did not expect this from the church in Macedonia. Why? First, they gave themselves to the Lord. And then to us by the grace of God. It is not that they gave gifts. It is not that they gave things. They gave themselves. That's what God is talking about. When love suffers long and still is kind. You know what you are giving? You are giving yourself. Because when God loved us, he gave himself. Have you given yourself? In the light of God's mercies, Paul will say, why don't you offer your bodies, your lives? The clock is ticking away. The Lord's coming is getting nearer and nearer. We're running out of time to prepare for that eventual day. So the question I need to ask, I need to ask, you need to ask is, have I really given myself consistently to anybody? Or we give ourselves for ourselves? Because that is the pursuit. Everybody is pursuing their own dream. I have given myself over to my dream. Pursuit of happiness. Engraved in the constitution of America is our byword. Do we? So that's what the Bible is talking about. The first thing about love the Holy Spirit brings in Corinthians 13 is this. Love suffers long, but it is kind. Suffering long for yourself is one thing. Waking up early, we used to say, burning the midnight oil for a rank and a seat. That's one other thing. You're only being kind to yourself. You're not being kind to somebody else. No? That's what it is. A culture has changed. A generation has gone away. It has changed. Where is all this gone? Where has our biblical culture gone? It's a culture that gave themselves. And Paul is shocked because he's coming into a Gentile culture where the people got saved. And you know what they did? They gave themselves over to God and then they gave themselves on to us. This is the love that serves. This is the love that is kind. Then if you go back to 13.4, it says, love does not. So first one, he says, love does. He begins with the positive. This is how love does in your home. This is what you need to do if you have, if you have an issue. When husbands call me and say, what's happening? You know, I have a misunderstanding with my wife. I tell them, just call her misunderstanding. 
That's all. Solve the problem over. Just put one letter here. Divide it. Call her misunderstanding. That's okay. The misunderstanding, misunderstanding is gone. So, she's misunderstanding. So, she, she. <laughs> These are not all big things. Because we do not realize our homes and our offices, our schools, our colleges, but primarily our homes are the labs in which we are being framed. This is the testing ground of eternal rewards. So God first begins with the positive and says, this is how love is. What is it is? Love is, suffers long, and it is kind. So what is he saying? He's not talking about a missionary. He's talking about in your home, you will have problems. Your wife may not be what you dreamt about. Your husband may not be what you dreamt about. So get ready to suffer. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind. These fairy tales where they lived happily ever after is in Revelation 21. (laughs) Rest of life is till 20 on earth. And nothing is new under the heavens. You name one problem in life, nothing is new. I am, no, you are not the only one. Thousands of generations before we have gone through all of this murder, rape, adultery, fornication. You name everything that wounds, hard words, every, there are generations who have gone through it all. There is nothing new under the sun. So your pain is not exclusive. God says suffer and be kind. Because you have something in you, somebody in you who will empower you to show the life of Christ. And when they see that, they will know you are my disciple. When they see that, they will know you are my disciple. Love suffers long and it is kind. And then he comes and says, love does not envy. Love does not envy. It's a terrible thing. Envy is a terrible thing. We saw that in detail. Envy can destroy marriages. Envy can destroy homes. Envy can nail the the Savior. Pilate, the Gentiles, say through all the high-sounding words of the high priest and say, you have given him over because you are jealous of him. All these fundas don't try with me. You are jealous. And I've seen it, honestly, I've seen it in marriages. This is stunning. That's one place you don't want envy. I know about a husband whose wife was doing a course and was in her second year. In the second year, he pulled her out. I said, you don't have to continue it. The reason I found later was this. If she completed the course, her degree would be equal to his. So he stopped her. Now, it's not a laughing matter because because I gave you an illustration. Just look into your heart and ask, has envy, jealousy stopped you from allowing your partner, husband or wife, doing certain things? Of course, you'll put a very nice, righteous covering and bring the law into the picture. But you go into the root of it. Was it the law? Was it conviction of the Holy Spirit? Or was it just sheer, simple envy? You're just jealous. 
Because you have to go to the root of the matter. Was it envy? Was it jealousy? Then the problem is, if it is, even if you were right, if the cause, the primary cause is jealousy, you are still under judgment on judgment day. Because you did not truly love. Truly love. Then we saw, love does not parade itself. It does not boast. It does not brag. Does not brag. Please understand this. We are looking at all these things, right? Love suffers long, is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. But the question is, how will you know? How will you know? I'll tell you the simple reason. Simple biblical fact. Truth. You will not know whether you have this or not unless you fulfill criteria number one. You know what is that? To give yourself for others. If you don't give it, you will never know. It is only in the giving of yourself to other God can diagnose your problem and get rid of it. If you have not given yourself, given yourself, you will never know you have these things and you will go into eternity with these things saved, but as Paul says, disqualified. Let me show you from scripture. Let us go to Genesis chapter 37 and verse 13. And Israel said to Joseph, Are you not, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. This is how the whole story of Joseph's life is going to begin. Okay? Father said, Your brothers are there. Why didn't you go check out on them? What does that mean? That means Jacob doesn't know Joseph's brothers hate him. They are jealous of him. They won't even speak to him. He's totally unaware of any of these things because Joseph, being a good boy, did not say any of these things to the father. He's not a telltale. And the father says, would you go check out where your brothers are? And what did Joseph say? Here I am. So he begins the act of giving himself in the service of somebody who are not kind to him. Kind to him. So he has literally, probably now, one of the first times, he is being asked to give himself over. We have learned this. It is a long journey. He journeys 50 miles, reaches Dothan, finds they are not there. She came, they are not there. Goes another 20 miles. So it's a 70 mile journey. It is not like go to the gate and come back. No, it's a long journey. It's a long journey. In this journey where he is giving himself for the well-being of his brothers, God will start working on him. Because what is that? Love does not. Love is, suffers long and is kind. And what are the other things we read? Love does not envy his brothers, envied him. Love does not parade. Love does not Boast. Now go to verse 20. Come therefore, they see him from far away. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit and we shall say some wild beast devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. And the next verse, 
I gave you? So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Did you see what God did with him? Now go back to 13.4. Then we will see what happened. 13.4. Corinthians. First 13. 13.4. Love does not envy. They all envied him. So his brothers did not love him. Simple play. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not boast. Love does not parade. It does not boast. Right? The first thing Joseph did was he boasted about his dreams to his brothers. The next thing he did is when he's on a 70 mile journey, he paraded himself wearing the coat. So the first thing God does is take the coat off and put a lid on his dreams to see whether he would still continue loving. I'm revealing things inside you so that you can love properly. Why? Because he gave himself in the service of his brothers. God revealed these things so he can become an overcomer one day. So if you don't take the first step, you will never know who you really are. It's a terrible thing to stand before God and realize, oh, this is what I was on earth. I didn't know. God says because you received salvation, but you never gave yourself. Never gave yourself. Because in the giving of yourself is when hidden things are revealed. We meet unpleasant people, unkind people. We thought they were so happy with our testimony. We didn't realize they were so angry and jealous and upset. But they smiled because daddy was around. But when daddy wasn't around, They're going to show a different nature. The question is not what they did to you. The question is, how will you respond? A day and hour will come. How will you respond? Did you see? If you envy somebody, if you have even a iota of envy about anybody, immediately what stops is love stops. So don't worry about loving them. First deal with envy. Because otherwise it will lead to murder. Of course we don't use a knife now. We just use the tongue. Religiously we use the tongue. We'll mention that and then say pray for her. Never prayed. Never intended the other person to pray. Go to 13.4 if I can have an IV. Oh, oh. no, not Genesis 13.4. First Corinthians 13.4 in an IV. Love does and love does not. Is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. Love is not proud. The most dangerous thing that can get into any one of us. 
Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Proverbs 13 and verse 10. By pride comes nothing but strife. By pride comes nothing but strife. Can I have KJV also? Because the order is a little different. Only by pride comes contention. Let me ask you this question. Do you have contentions in your life? I'm not talking about issues. Issues can be settled unless it is a contention. Do you have contentions with people? This is a very serious question. Because if you have contentions with people, the reason behind is not the issue. The reason behind it is right. Because the Bible is very clearly, only by pride comes contention. And love is not proud. Husbands and wives can have issues and they can resolve it or some issues don't have to be resolved. It doesn't matter. Some issues are important, they need to be resolved. We are not talking about issues. We are not talking about resolution of issues. We are talking about contentions, strife. Because the Bible says love is not proud. And by pride, only by pride comes contention. The young couples here, many young couples just married. You have Tej and uh, Parvati, we have Sammy and Jyoti. Wonderful way to start off. Watch out for this. Because there is no greater cancer that can destroy a marriage than pride. Because contentions come. Not issues. Contentions. This is the problem. Because this was the problem with the church in Corinth. The problem with church in Corinth was that they were very childish. They were very immature. See, immaturity has got nothing to do with age. You can be 60 or 70 and still be immature. Like William Barclay's um, indictment of King Lear was that some people grow old, some people never grow up. And King Lear only grew old, he never grew up. Which is true. Some people only grow old, they never grow up. And the church in Corinth is full of people and they are all immature. And there is so much contention in the church. Do you know why there was so much contention in the church? Because they were full of gifts. Full of gifts. And that, was, that is why this first letter to Corinthians is so important that between 12 and 14, one entire chapter is given to, given to love. Because 12 is talking about gifts and 14 is talking about the operation of the gifts. This is a church full of gifted people. But they are full of contentions. And what is the problem? There is no love. There is no love. This is not kind of a normal kind of a church which has evolved over the centuries where order and program and how all this. This is a kind of church. One man speaks in tongues. Immediately the next one starts speaking, shouting tongues in, even more louder. Another one starts shouting the interpretation. One starts prophesying. Next one starts prophesying. Paul is saying, what the heck is happening in your church? You're all showing off. Nobody is edifying one another. What's happening here? Contentions. What brings contentions? Pride. 
What are you proud about? The world, many things make people proud. Knowledge makes people proud. Looks make people proud. A lady came and asked her pastor, Pastor, is it a sin to wear makeup? He said, in your case, sister, it is. You don't have to be good looking. You just have to think you are good looking. What makes you proud? What makes you jealous? What brings contentions? You have a gift. You have a gift. Different gifts are given to different people. Has that brought in contention? At the root of the matter, is it that? Ask these serious questions because we need to deal with situations because we are preparing for eternity. And all around the world, the signs that are happening is screaming to his people. We don't, they don't understand. They don't understand. Only we understand. Let me ask you this question. Over a period of time, let us in a few years time, everything goes digital. Everything goes digital. And then it goes beyond that. Where you need to have, let us say, a chip. Do you think it bothers most people in the world, including Christians? No. Only those who know if you receive the mark. So you need to realize so many things that is happening in the world makes no meaning to a lot of people except the people who are in the Lord and are waiting for him. To others it doesn't make any difference. They will easily go and take the chip and it makes it very easy. So for us what is happening is a different thing. God is telling, I'm not speaking to the whole world, I'm speaking to my people. Get ready. Get ready. And when you get ready and when you stand before me, you don't understand the criteria which I will judge you. And the first thing I'm going to ask you is, is your love real? Only by pride comes contentions. And love is not proud. Love is not proud. Because we don't have to pretend with God or with one another. We don't have to pretend. We need to ask ourselves, what is the reason? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now I plead with you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Why? For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, there are contentions among you. Please, he's saying, a pleading. This is how. The letter to the Corinthian church begins. And we have the greatest chapter on love because the church was full of contentions. They were like children with toys. Only problem of the toys was real gifts given by the Holy Spirit. But that brought envy and jealousy and contention among them. And Paul is saying, what's happening? What is happening? This is actually what destroys marriages. This is what destroys homes. This is what destroys churches. 
That's why somebody said Freud's other word in English, psychological word in English is ego. And ego means edge God out. When ego comes, God goes. Because they cannot stay in the same heart. Pride and love cannot stay in the same heart. It is impossible. So the question is, okay, we diagnose the problem, if that is the problem. What is the solution? What is the solution? We need a solution, right? God doesn't just leave us with the problem and say, solve yourself. He is not Pastor Vijay's old lecturer. Remember, professor who said, I will not give you the solution. Solve yourself, not God. God will give you the problem and he will tell you the solution. He will give you the strength to keep it. So the question is, what is the solution? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 6 and 7. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. He says, I don't want to pick two leaders from your church, then they will fight with me. So I am using myself and Apollos as examples so that you understand what is happening. And then, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Puffed up. Love is not puffed up. Oh, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Paul says, you know what, we have no issues. I plan Apollos water. So we are making ourselves as illustration to you. Look at the next words. That is a solution. The antidote. For who makes you differ from one another? What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? The antidote to pride is this. It's a very powerful, honest question you and I should ask ourselves. What is that we have that we did not receive? Answer, nothing. Everything we have in life, from birth till death, was received. Everything was received. So if you received something from somebody, what are you proud about? Everything we have received from God. So what are you proud about? It's a very sobering thought to keep ourselves humble. What do I have? Because they are all wanting and boasting about their gifts. He said, what is it called? A gift. Who gave it to you? God gave it to you. So why are you so proud about it? Why I am fair? Who gave it to you? In your mother's womb you are putting makeup? No, you were born that way. It is God who gave it to you. I have long hair. Really? How much did you work for it? In the mother's womb? No, you were given it. This is nothing you have which you did not receive. Actually what was given to you, if it is given to somebody else, they would have made better use of it. You wasted most of your time and your energy and your talents. Somebody else, like remember that fellow who hid the talent? That is the story of most Christians. They are hiding it, they are not using it. They have not understood everything in life is a gift and it is a trust. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. It's a very humbling thought that there is nothing in life that we own. Everything is received. 
Look at First Timothy chapter six and verse seven. For we brought, we brought nothing. Anisha, when you delivered the baby, did she bring anything? Nothing. Nothing. We brought nothing. And it is certain we can carry nothing. So what are you puffed up about? You brought nothing. You can carry nothing. Then what is this all about? What are you so, so proud about? What a sobering thought. In simple plainsman's language, Indian language, Aya Bikari, Jayenge Bikari. Came a beggar, will go away. Brought nothing, take nothing. What a sobering thought. He's writing to a church full of contentions and because of pride. And he says the problem is you don't really love each other. Because true love there is no contention. Because in true love there is no pride. There is no envy. Look at Job chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshipped. Look at his response to the loss of everything, including his children, which we say my children. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Did Mrs. Job react that way? No. Her reaction was different. His response was different. This is a very true, healthy view of life. There was a teenage rebel. Single mother's son. Always fighting with his mother. Always fighting with his mother. You don't give me that, you don't give me that, you don't give me that, you don't give me that. One day he fought with his mother because she refused something and she said, he said, I am going. I am leaving the house. She said, well, you can go. Nobody stopped you. So he packed his bag and came to the door. When he came to the door, she said, leave the bag behind. He said, why? Because she said, I bought it. And leave the clothes behind. I bought it. He said, okay. And he opened the door. She said, wait. Stripped down, including your underwear, because I got it. You came with nothing, you want to leave, you can go with nothing. And the fellow got back in and humbly went back to his room. Rebellion gone, reality check. The truth is that we all came with nothing. When you make demands, you need to realize I came with nothing. When I go, I carry nothing. So what are you so upset about? Do you see how contentions come? Because pride and true love cannot coexist. If pride and true love cannot coexist, then what does pride go with? It goes with humility. So we have to ask this question. What am I proud about? Honestly. Think about it. What are you proud about? If you are honest, you will hear it. If you are really honest, 
you will hear it. What are you proud about? I'm not talking about self-respect. That's fine. You're proud about something. And if that is touched, fire comes out. What are we proud about? What did we have that we did not receive? Because if you received it, it should not go into your head. It should not get into your head. That was the problem with the first king of Israel, King Saul. He was the people's choice for king. Not God's choice, people's choice. When people choose a king, God will anoint him. He was people's choice. Do you know why he was chosen? Because the people said, we want a king like the other nations. Other nations' kings were different. They were tall and big and handsome. You want a king like other nations. Look at his choice. First Samuel 10, 22. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further. Has the man come here? And the Lord answered, there he is hidden among the equipment. And let us, uh, sorry, I think it's 23. Next verse, when they found him, what does it say? Yeah. 10.23. Got it? Yes. They ran and brought him out and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than all the others. That was why he was chosen. He was head taller. He was the first poster boy for Proctor's head and shoulders. Because head and shoulders above the rest. That's why he was chosen. And that, he was became a very vain man. It's a terrible thing for an anointing to fall upon a vain person. When he won his first victory, when he started winning, he didn't realize why he was winning. Because when you, when you are a child of God, and by the grace of God you succeed to keep us humble, that is why the Bible says, give thanks in all situations. Why? We'll say, what kind of a God is for everything I should say? He said, it is for your protection. Because if you don't give thanks for everything, you will start becoming proud. Because you will think it is you who did it without realizing it is I who did it for you. Look at the next verse in First Samuel eleven six. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this and his anger was greatly aroused. Why did he win his initial victories? Because the Spirit of God came upon him. Saul, what is that you have that you did not receive? His answer should be nothing. But he became something. Saul, do you know your victories are because of you? Not because of you, it's because of God. And the minute he blew his own trumpet, victory stopped. And Philistines came and hedged him. Are you getting the picture? Honestly ask, what are you proud about? Looks? Knowledge? Success? 
eloquence. Today, you know, if you look at, I mean, you don't have to go there, I don't go there, but if you look at all the social media, boy, the kind of post people put is so, so stupid. Absolutely stupid. What is there to be so proud about these things? Are you proud? Because you are rich? Deuteronomy 8.18 And you shall remember the Lord your God for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Did you remember Him? That is the spiritual principle of tithes. Why do we tithe? To say, Lord, I made this much this month and the reason is because you gave me the power. Here is it, acknowledging this is not of myself. It is because of the power, the strength, the breath, the life, the talent. No sickness managed to work one month because the God of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. He watches over there going out and coming in. He gives us the brains. He gives us the intelligence. Here, Lord, I acknowledge it is yours. That is the principle. To keep you from being proud. Because what problem of pride is this? Pride is a love killer. And love is not proud. Love is not proud. If you are proud, let me tell you, you will struggle to love. That is why failures are good in life. Failures are good in life. Because if you succeed all the time, it will get into your head. Not necessarily failures are good unless you learn from it. So 1 Corinthians 4, 7 is a beautiful reckoner for us. What is that you have that you did not receive? Engrave it in the tablet of your heart. The answer is nothing. So you'll be able to like Jesus take even that little tiffin of a little boy, lift it to this father and say thank you Lord. Thank you Father. Thank you Father. Thank you Father. And then give it and the miracle takes place. Love is, if love is not proud, then love is humble. Jesus was love personified. Look at how he is described in Philippians 2, 6 to 8. Who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, coming in the likeness of men, Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Do you see why it was so easy for him to love everyone? 
Do you see why it was so easy for him to forgive everyone? Do you see why he was able to live without offense? Why he was able to live without offense? Without contentions? Others contended with him. He never contended with anybody. Read Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Then we will look a little more time on this and close. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. Then read Philippians 6, 2, 6 once again. What is that? Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with? What does it mean? If you were to ask the question of 1 Corinthians 4, 7 to Jesus, what is that you have that you did not receive? He would say, nothing. Everything was made by me, for me, through me. Everything exists for me. It's one person who can answer, what did you receive that you did not, was not given? He could say, actually has God nothing. Nothing. Everything is mine. I created it. I own it. It was made for me. But what did he do? The first thing he did was, he made himself of no reputation. No reputation. No reputation. Therefore he was able to, able to love everyone. Therefore he was, if one man could really be honest, be righteously be proud, it was Jesus. But he was never proud. Instead he was humble. He made himself of no Reputation. His love was genuine. He was never offended. He was never into contentions. Ask yourself this question. Are you offended? Do you get into contentions? So when, because you are a pastor, now again next month I'm going on mission. Every mission field I leave my church alone so that I will not have contentions. We'll talk about other churches. Every meeting will be from morning till night and then people will come to meet. All the And usual story. If it's man, it's woman. Woman, man will be with a very sober voice, somber face. Woman will be of course with watershed works. He will he pastor. He hurt me so much. He will say, he hurt us so much. Children will say, they hurt us so much. My only question is this. Is this actually genuinely the hurt of love? It's a hurt in love. Or is it a hurt of offense? My question is always that. It's a genuine hurt of love or it is a hurt of offense. Because if it's a hurt of love, there is a solution. Love is not proud. 
even if you are hurting, if it is the hurt of love, suffer long and be kind. God will give you the grace and things will change. But if it is a hurt of offense, humble yourself. Solution is not the same. What part of you got hurt? Your reputation? Your reputation? That's what we grew up seeing in India. No, all the movies we saw, Khantan ki izzat. Why are you so upset about your daughter marrying that man? What is the problem? Your reputation? Your reputation? Or it is a genuine concern. That guy doesn't believe. That guy doesn't believe. That's the first thing when I said, when my eldest daughter got married. I said, my concern is only this thing. I don't think he believes. So, if you are asking me for my blessings, you have my blessings. If you ask me for my consent, you don't have my consent. I will always bless my children. I will always, till I die. But what is the issue? The issue is that I don't think he believes. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all is good. Because I know my daughter. When she picks a boy, he'll be like me. And he's exactly like me. Only thing he doesn't believe. So it's not about reputation. Reputation should be very happy. Wow, look who she has married. He's a lawyer, works for the Justice Department in Washington, D.C. Nothing makes any difference to me. I said, look, the thing is that reputation is irrelevant. The only thing is that, you know what? There is something about God here. He doesn't believe. Do I love you like crazy? Do I like him? Yes. But the point isn't that this is not about reputation. This is about truth. Everywhere this reputation comes in. It's a false reputation. And he made himself of no reputation. Then how can he be offended? Who is his father? Eats with sinners and harlots. Only by pride, I like KJV, only by pride comes contentions. Is there contention in your life? Is there contention in your marriage? Is there contention in your home? Where you are involved, I'm asking the question. Because God has a solution. The solution, he says, humble yourself. Make yourself of no reputation. Your reputation doesn't matter. That's what he tells us, Sardis. You have a reputation. Of being alive. But you never checked with me. But you are dead. So you know what? We are preparing for something. We are preparing to be exposed. Before God. It's better to be exposed before God now. So that there is nothing to be exposed then. Lord, this is who I am. You search my heart. Tell me, Lord, what am I proud about? What am I vain about? What is that I have that I did not receive? Answer, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. We guard ourselves from 
not loving others. You guard yourself from that. We will be genuinely be able to love the way God wants us to love. What is that? Just one verse. We just, we're still stuck at 13.4. Love suffers long. And is still kind. Love does not boast, does not parade. It is not proud. Because they cannot coexist together. We are talking about a continuum. We are talking about walking, living out a life in a particular way with everyone. That is character. That is genuine character of God. And that's what God, that is, we came with nothing, we can carry nothing, but there is something we take. Do you know what we take with us? Our character. How much have you been conformed to the image of Christ Jesus? That's what we carry with us. Love is not proud. Faith can make you proud. Can make you really proud. Can make you really nasty. Really, really nasty. One more verse and I will stop. Judges 8, 15 and 17. Then he came to the men of Sukkot and said, Here are Zeba and Zalmuna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmuna now in your hands that we should give bread to your weary men? Then he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars with them. He taught the men of Sukkot. You know who this is? Gideon. See, I teach from Gideon about faith. But personally, I don't like Gideon at all. Don't like Gideon at all. Because he was a very... Success got into his head. You know where he began? Hiding over there. And God picked him up. And he then, fearful man. He got changed him, changed him, changed him, changed him. He became a warrior. He won. But those who did not follow him, the elders of the city, he made whips of thorns and whipped them. Because success got into your head. The faith does not make you humble. Faith does not make you humble. You can have mountain moving faith and become proud as a peacock. But that's not David. He was, he was humble in victory. And he was humble and gracious in defeat. Do you remember Ziklag? Do you remember when he pursued with his, all his strengths? With 600 men, and on the way, 200 of them said, we are too tired. And he said, okay, you sit over here. He gave the bags to them. They went, fought the whole day and night. The next day, they won. And when they're coming with the loot, the 400 said, don't share anything with them. And he said, shh. No. No. Everyone will get the equal share. Did he make a whip of thorns and whip the 200? No. In victory, he was Gracious. What about defeat? When his own son took the throne and he was rushing out of Jerusalem and Shemai was picking up stones and throwing it up. They said, shall we take the head? He said, shh, leave it alone. If the Lord will, so it be. Do you know why God gave him the promise when he said, I want to build a house for God? God says, no. No, you're not going to build a house for me. Instead, David, you know what? I want to build a house for you. And he was stunned. He said, Lord, what are you telling me? What are you telling me? 
You want to build a house for me? Isaiah 57 and verse 15 says what God actually meant. Thus says the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. Last words for today. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And what, you know what will happen? My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see what God says? That's the love that is not proud. That's the love where the heart is very contrite. And God comes and resides there. God is there in every heart, everybody. But that's not the point. The final question for each one of us. Is God at home in your heart. Or is your heart a house? Is God at home in your heart? That was what he's telling David. You know what? Young man, when I come to you, I'm at home. Because you have a humble spirit. And you love me. You are a man after my own heart. In your love, there is no pride. There is no offense. There is no contention. There is no parade. There is no boasting. You know what? I am at home in your heart. I feel comfortable. So with that question, let's rise up to pray. Lord, are you, are you at home in my heart? Are you at home? I and my father will come and make your heart our home. Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. Who are we, O oh Lord, that you are truly mindful of us? Who are we, O oh Lord, that you would want to reside in our heart? Who are we, O oh Lord, that you suffer with us day after day, week, week, month after month, for me, 40 years, and you are still kind? Who am I? Who are we? And when something happens in our life, a little thing, we are so proud about it. We boast about it. It's somebody offends us with something, we are so angry. And the love goes out of our heart. Envy gets in. Yet we forget that salient question. What is that I have? That I have not received. The only true answer, Lord, is nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Every gift. Everything we received was a gift. It was free. We just want to thank you, Lord. That you love us with your kind of love. And not our kind of love. If it were so, you would have got tired of us long, long ago. But you never give up on us. You never quit on us. That even when you discipline us, it's because you love us. 
Oh, truly, with the angels, we can ask that question. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we, such miserable beings like we, are called the sons and daughters of God. We have no answer, Lord, no answer. All we can say is, because you love us, the way only you can love us. And all we can say is, thank you, Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for never quitting on us. And help us each day to love like you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Therefore, I commit ourselves and the church into thy hands. Give us more power to love one another. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Be with us. Go with us. Go before us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. 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 God bless you.